0: able to stand this morning out of respect for the Word of God, Matthew 28, Matthew uh, Matthew 26, I'm sorry, Matthew 26 this morning. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. We'll begin reading in verse number 57, and I've entitled today's message as we're getting closer to what we call Easter, and of course the word Easter is found in the Bible in Acts chapter number 12. It's a day that we celebrate the, the rising of the Son of God. And we're getting closer in our Bible to that event taking place. That is uh, the greatest day for the Christian is the day that Jesus was uh, risen from the dead. And so this morning we're in Matthew 26 beginning in verse number 57. And as you follow along with me this morning, the Bible says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it up in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said unto him, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you. Thank you as we look at this passage and we realize this morning what you did for us. Lord, how you took our place. You went through that excruciating ordeal so that we would not have to. Lord, I pray this morning that our love for you would be rekindled. Lord, that we would see once again how much you loved us before we ever loved you. And if there's someone here this morning that does not know you, that they would see the magnitude of your love for them. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, That you died for us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to deal with us this morning, to show us the truth, and that we would respond willingly to whatever it is that you speak to us about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The passage before us this morning, we find Jesus, the Son of God, on trial for his life but not only for for his life, but for our lives. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus never did anything wrong, that there was no sin in him, but yet our sin was being placed upon him. Jesus left heaven and came to this earth for such a time as this. He's on trial here in the passage this morning before the Jewish Supreme Court, as you will, It was a group of people called the Sanhedrin. Now, this trial actually paved the way for Jesus' conviction before the man by the name of Pontius Pilate. This trial that we'll look at today was the first step, as far as the Jews were concerned, in getting rid of this troublemaker, this insurrectionist, this one that they came to know as Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God that we know today. This trial paved the way for that ending trial, the conviction. Of course, this time of year, we, we, we step back in our, in our Christian lives and we begin to focus or maybe tune our focus back into and reflect on what Jesus endured for us. He did all this in order that you and, us, you and I would be redeemed from our sins. Jesus, who the Bible describes as the judge of all the universe, he allowed himself to be judged by his own creation. And we see Jesus on trial. This morning, I want to help you this morning as we focus on these events and what occurred during this time. This would have been the time, biblically, when Jesus was arrested in the garden And Jesus then made his way to where this trial took place. And it all begins with the fact that we see Jesus was arraigned. He was brought before a court. Notice the place of his arraignment, John 18, 13. The Bible records there that they led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now, when you study the scriptures, you find that yes, Jesus was taken there, but then he was taken to the home of the high priest. The Bible identifies his name as Caiaphas. So first to Annas' and then to Caiaphas'. And Caiaphas, of course, being the high priest, this was uh, something we need to understand because as you get to this portion, you find that really Annas was the one that had the real power in Jerusalem at this time. We read about Jesus going into the temple and twice in his earthly existence, Jesus overthrew the tables of the money changers that had come into the temple, that had set up uh, to merchandise and to be in the house of God. And Jesus said, my father's house will not be a house, a den of iniquity. And he overthrows the tables and he runs them out of the temple area. And it was this Annas that was over the business of the temple. He oversaw those tables of the money changers. And so when we look at this portion, we find that they had arranged, as we see it coming into view this morning, the, the trial of Jesus. This This would be a trial that would be held in a private setting. And the reason that they did that was because they were trying to conceal what they were doing, even from the people of the day. So we find the place of his arraignment was in the home of the high priest, Caiaphas. But notice the participants of this trial, this arraignment. Because the Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, what's interesting is when they bring Jesus in, that the scribes and the Pharisees were already assembled. They were already there. This, this means that this was something that was planned in advance. Uh, this was something that was premeditated in order for all of them to be there when Jesus arrived. The term scribes and elders is a synonymous term with this group of people. You see just a, maybe a more modern picture of what maybe Jesus was seeing in that day where he was standing before this group of people that was known as the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was comprised of 71 men, and over the 70 was the 71st, which was the high priest. The Bible identifies him as Caiaphas. This would have been the Jewish equivalent of what is known as their high court. Today in our land, we have the Supreme Court. That is the highest ruling body in our land. But Jesus is, of course, arrested in the garden. And then Jesus is brought here. Immediately, he is prosecuted before the highest court in the day, the highest court in the land. These men, interesting, the Sanhedrin, as you study it out historically, they should have been doing everything in their power as a religious body of men to bring people to God. But the reality was they were doing everything in their power to keep people from coming to God. They were were doing everything they could do to keep men away from God. The Bible says in John 1.11 that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, created everything that is in this world and Jesus came to his own creation and Jesus came to his own people which these individuals were a part of that and yet instead of receiving him they are rejecting him. You see we see the place of this trial and we see the participants but then notice the problems of his arraignment. Now I want to share with you some things about this trial because the trial was plagued by many things that were not right they were violations of the law now see if you talk to the scribes and the pharisees they were all about the law they were all about keeping the law and we know that jesus said that if you've offended one point you've offended the whole law and here's these individuals that bring jesus before this mock trial they they, everything is already in advance it's already staged It's already planned. I mean, I'm just trying to help you the way God's helped me to understand what my Savior went through before he even got to the cross. And I see these problems with this trial. For instance, let me point out a few of them according to law. The Sanhedrin was a body that was designed to save lives, not to take life. And these men, they were gathering for the sole purpose of putting Jesus to death. This trial was conducted by these individuals at night, yet the law specified that any trial that was going to be held would have to be held during the day. You find another violation that the accused were always allowed to call witnesses in their own defense, yet Jesus was not given the privilege to call one witness in his own defense. The Sanhedrin was to judge the case not to prosecute it. Let me say that again. They were to judge the case, not prosecute it, but in this trial of Jesus, they assumed both roles. They not only judged the case, but they prosecuted the case. And if the death penalty was something that was being sought, and that was the case here, the Sanhedrin was required to observe a three-day waiting period. During those three days, there were supposed to be Prayer and fasting. But when you look at the trial of Jesus and the judgment that went forward that was rendered, Jesus was tried, he was convicted, and he was dead before 24 hours even passed. The entire thing was illegal. It was against the law. I I go on this morning. Trials were only to be held within the temple area. And yet this particular trial was taking place at the home of Caiaphas, it was illegal because to bribe a witness to give a false te- testimony was something that was illegal under the law it was against the law to force a prisoner to testify against himself it was against the law to use a prisoners confession folks I could continue because there were many other misjustices many other things that were illegal and violations of the law that these men said that they were standing for in that day. From a legal standpoint, this trial represented the greatest miscarriage of justice and the greatest hoax that has ever been perpetrated against any person in all of history. It was fraudulent from start to finish, illegal at almost every point and on every possible count. It was anything but a trial in which justice was in view. In the desire of those conducting it, Jesus did not receive a fair trial. He was convicted by a kangaroo court that had in its mind, they were made up in their minds before the trial had ever convened, that Jesus was guilty. I hope you understand this morning what our Savior went through for us. You see, Jesus was arraigned, but notice, secondly, While he was being arraigned, he was accused. Now, when we look in the passage, I want you to look at verse 59. Look what it says here in our text. Now, the chief priests and elders and all the council sought... What kind of witness against Jesus? False. And notice, to put him to death. There was no end. They were not going to stop. They were going to use any means, even lies against him so that they could put him to death. The next verse says, but they found none. And God's people ought to say amen to that, right? They, look, they were trying, they wanted to try to find someone that would testify against him, somebody that could give false witness, and the Bible says they found none, yea, many false witnesses came, yet, look at the same phrase, yet found they none, and at last came two false witnesses. Now here's what I see is, I see the treachery in this trial because Jesus was already convicted before he even entered the room. Did you hear that this morning? He was proven guilty before he had an opportunity to even step into Caiaphas's home. This was not a court of law, it was a lynch mob. That's what it was. These men were out for blood and that's exactly what they got. I see the treachery of the trial, but then I see the testimony uh, in this trial. Now, as the trial began to progress, and we saw a couple verses here, how the Jews were seeking witnesses, people to testify against Jesus. And the Bible says that as they were looking for witnesses, the Bible says they found none. Many were willing to give false testimonies, but listen, here's the key, that their testimonies, although false, that their testimonies did not agree. Now, that agreement had to be there it was required under the law in order to have a conviction even if it was false testimonies they had to be in agreement look at Deuteronomy 17:6 at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death see it was required under law there had to be more than one They had to be in agreement. There were some that came that said lies about Jesus and said false things, but none of their stories matched. But the Bible then does say that they did come and they began to testify. Look at what it says in verse number 60 of our passage again. The Bible says they found none and at the last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days now two of these false witnesses came and they finally agreed in their statements now here's what they did has anybody ever done this to you you say something and they twist your words ever see that game sometimes we used to do it with teenagers maybe brother kenny and miss becky do that sometimes with our teenagers where you line up a group of people, maybe five or ten people, and you tell the first person something, and then that person has to turn around and tell the next person, that person turns around and tells the next one, until it gets to the end of the line, and then you have the person at the end of the line come back to the front of the line and tell you what they heard. And almost most of the time, it is never anywhere near what you told the first person. Now, that's one reason why I'm glad that God has not only inspired his word, the recording of it, but God has preserved his word to my generation. Because I don't have to wonder what God says, I hold it in my hand. Now Jesus said many things while he was on this earth. You have to understand, we have the written word in our hands. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the written word and God incarnate. He was the living word. And listen, you're never going to get Jesus to disagree with the word of God because he is the word. John said it this way in John chapter number one, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And when I think about Jesus standing there and they're they're twisting his words. These false witnesses come and they begin to, to say, listen, this is what we're accusing him of. Now, what they accused him of, according to the law, was something that could be considered blasphemy. In other words, it was punishable by death. Now, go back to verse 61, because again, I want you to see what they said. This is what they were accusing him of when he says, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in how many days? Three days. Now, that's what they accused him of. Blasphemy. Jesus, I I mean, as you look at this, and Jesus makes this statement, they accused him of blasphemy. Look in your notes there, all the way back over in the Old Testament, Leviticus 24, 15. The Bible says, Thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin, and he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as a stranger, and he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth, the name of the Lord shall be put to death. Now, when Jesus made this statement, he was not speaking about a building, the temple that was in Jerusalem. If you know the scriptures, or you've studied the word of God for any length of time, it should bring you back to John chapter number 2. Look at verse number 19, where on that day Jesus said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his what? Of his body. He wasn't talking about the building, the temple that stood in Jerusalem. He was talking about his body. He says, look, you can do what you want with what you're looking at right now. But I'm gonna tell you something, I have the power, my father has the power to raise it up again in three days. It's not gonna take 46 years, but in three days I will raise it up. In other words, the words that he spoke back in John 2, and that of course they accused him of right here in our passage this morning, Jesus' words were being taken out of context. And again, they are twisting the word of God with these false witnesses. They, these words that Jesus shared with them, yes, they did hold a truth to the Jews who were looking for any excuse that they could put Jesus to death. Now, could Jesus have called any witnesses to his defense? Could he have called anyone to testify on his behalf? Absolutely. There's all kinds of people Jesus could have called. What about the man that he healed at the pool of Bethesda? Jesus could have easily called that man and say, hey, listen, would you speak on my behalf? How about the woman that Jesus spared her life, the one that was taken in adultery? Jesus could have called that woman. Jesus could have called Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. That would have been a good one to call. Jesus could have called him. How about some of those thousands of people that Jesus fed out in the wilderness on the hillsides? In other words, there were thousands of people that Jesus could have called in his defense on that day. Hey, listen, you know what that tells me is That every person that came into contact with Jesus, the Son of God, that he made all the difference in their lives. Jesus could have easily called any one of them, which reminds me in my life today that I and you and all of God's children, that we need to be testifying to others about the grace of God in our own lives. You see, the testimony of these sinners, how that they stood and they gave a false testimony about Jesus Christ, but I want you to see also the Savior's testimony. Look at verse 62, because here they were. They were testifying falsely. And remember, Jesus is standing there. Now he's already gone through quite an ordeal. He spent the entire night in the Garden of Gethsemane. His body physically was worn out. He's standing there in this mock trial, this kangaroo court that was already assembled when he got there. And the Bible records in verse 62, look, the high priest arose after the false testimony and said unto him, answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto him. How many of you in your Bible, verse 64, is mostly red letters? Yeah? When you look in your Bible, if you have one of those red letter Bibles, you know that this, these are the words that Jesus spake. Now, one thing a preacher helped me with years ago, he said, listen, all the Bible's the word of God, whether it's in red letters or not. But here's what I find is, is that Jesus there begins to testify. Now, as it records there in verse 62, the high priest begins to press Jesus. He says, listen, don't you hear the allegations against you? Don't you hear what these people are saying against you? He says, look, they're, they're saying a lot about you, but what did Jesus do? He remained silent. He never said a word. Now, that is true because if you go all the way back in the book of Isaiah, many hundreds of years before this event happened in Caiaphas's house, Look what Isaiah said in Isaiah fifty three seven. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. There's our Savior standing there, on trial for our lives. Never did one thing wrong here's all this false witness against him, I wonder how many of us could stand there silent. I wonder how many of us could stand there without uttering one word, knowing that everything that they were saying about us was not true. However, the high priest, if you notice in your Bible, here's what he says to Jesus when Jesus remained silent. He says, I adjure thee. Now listen, Caiaphas I know that Caiaphas was the high priest, and listen, Jesus respected authority. But there was a higher authority that Jesus had than Caiaphas. You and I have that same authority in our lives. In other words, Caiaphas says, look, you're going to tell me. But he continued after he said, I adjure thee, because look what he says, by the living God. Look at me, that changes everything. See, the I adjure thee doesn't really matter that much, but by the living God, that changes everything. And so when he said that, it put Jesus under oath. In other words, it compelled him to answer. And by the way, he did answer. Jesus begins to boldly proclaim his identity as the Son of God. He begins there in the face of the Sanhedrin, to proclaim his own resurrection, his own exaltation, how that he would return to rule and reign on the earth. I mean, can you imagine this scene? Jesus standing there covered in blood as he begins to tell them that he is who he has been saying that he is, and he begins to talk about being on a throne. I mean, he begins to talk about his glory. Those claims that Jesus began to tell them I mean, he's standing there and basically at their disposal. Certainly, all of his claims sounded ridiculous, but can I tell you this morning, all of his claims were 100% true. Every last one of them. I mean, they probably thought to themselves, who's he kidding? The claims of Jesus to be the only one to God, to the world today still, it sounds foolish. But when you look at the scriptures, It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Well, who does he say he is? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. I'm the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Listen, when you think about Jesus standing here, he gives a testimony of what's going on in his life and and how God had brought him to this place. He's being accused and we see the treachery and the testimony of sinners against him and we see the Savior's testimony. But then notice the tragedy in this trial. And I want you to see this because look in verse 65. Because as Jesus finally speaks for himself, then the high priest rent his clothes saying he hath spoken blasphemy What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Now when the high priest heard the words of Jesus, listen, he heard what he wanted to hear. You ever around somebody like that? You say something to them, but they hear it the way they want to hear it? That's exactly what happened with the high priest. He had just heard the truth but he dismissed the truth as blasphemy. And then something amazing happens. The high priest puts on a show. I mean, he does it for all those that are assembled there because the Bible says he begins to tear his garments. And he begins to pronounce Jesus guilty of blasphemy, and he calls for a vote. Now look what it says in Leviticus 21. This is what I want you to see in verse number 10. He that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. See, this act of the high priest to rend his garments, it actually, according to the law, disqualified him from being the high priest, from his office. It was forbidden. Caiaphas did not realize the significance of what he had just done. Now, if he really knew, and we know this, but Caiaphas actually was going to be the last high priest. The end of the sacrificial system. You know, I'm talking about where they would take the sacrificial animal and they would keep that animal towards the Passover and that animal's life would be taken and the blood would be spilled and the atonement would be made by the high priest. Listen, this man would be the last in the line of the high priest because when Jesus came and Jesus was about to give his life, what was he doing? He was abolishing the role of a human high priest forever. Doesn't that make you glad this morning? That we don't have to come to a man that puts on his clothes the way we do, that's a sinner just like we are, that we can go boldly before the throne of grace, that we can go directly to God. There is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Amen. And see, Jesus Christ was perfecting this role as the high priest. Once Jesus died and rose again, he would forever serve as the perfect, eternal high priest. We now have access to the high priest, we have access to the Lord Jesus himself, Ephesians 2.18, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. Folks, look, you can't get around it. One day, Caiaphas will stand before Jesus. And he will be forced to give an account of his life before the judge of all the universe. And on that day, not only Caiaphas, but everyone, who, whoever denies Jesus, will receive a just trial. Did you hear that? If they deny the Lord, they will, unlike Jesus, they will receive a just trial and a righteous sentence there is coming a day in which everyone will be made to face him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. They will bow to him. They will give an answer before his throne. Look at Revelation 20 this morning. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. Are you ready for that day to come? Are you, do you realize this morning that you, like Caiaphas, and every person, every born of woman, that we will all stand before the Lord one day and give an account of the life that we have lived? And the tragedy in this trial was this, that the creature, the one that had been created by the creator, the creature had the audacity to judge and to condemn the creator of this world. That was the tragedy that we see. see, Jesus was arraigned, and Jesus was accused. But listen, it doesn't end there. Because notice, Jesus also was abused. Look at verse 67 this morning. And they did spit in his face, and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands saying, Prophesy unto us, Thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Now the word smote, we would use the word hit, maybe the word punch, maybe the word slap or beat. Folks, I think we all get the idea. They were brutalizing the Son of God. He had never done one thing wrong. They accused him of something that wasn't true. The accusation had been made, the testimony had been given, and the verdict had been rendered. Jesus was declared guilty of blasphemy. The mob now begins to unleash their anger against him, and they do it in the most brutal way. Notice I see this abuse, that it was pathetic. It was brutal. They spit on him. They punched him. They hit him. They slapped him. Can I remind you who those people are that were doing that to him? They were religious people. Religious people. They were supposed to be people that love God and love others. But here they are pathetically attacking God. The Son of God there's a verse that God showed me many years ago while I was looking through the book of Isaiah that I just never have forgotten it, and I want you to see it this morning in isaiah 5214 It says, "As many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. A lot of commentators Here's what they'll say about that verse, that the full thrust of that verse basically says this, that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. There was so much blood, there was so much that he had endured that you couldn't even tell who he was. And Isaiah describes it as his visage was marred. Notice the phrase, more than any man. See, I don't think anybody has ever come close to dying the death that Jesus did. In every shape, every form, everything that he went through. Imagine the blood beginning to flow as they beat him. Imagine his face beginning to swell as they brutalized him. The scene, I think, depicts the depths of human depravity. Man's brutally rejecting his maker, And he attacks him in anger. The scene pictures not only man's depravity, but it also gives us a great view of the the boundless depths of the love of God for those that he would save. Jesus stood there. Jesus took it for us. The Bible says he commended the love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, here was God in the flesh. Look, no doubt at his word Those that were tormenting him, those that were beating him would have dropped dead. And as they beat him, the Bible says they demanded of him, tell us, if you are the Christ, who is it that just hit you? Tell us who it was. They began to mock him openly, yet he endured their abuse. Jesus went to the cross for us, that we might be saved. Folks, I can't think of a greater love than what Jesus displayed there in Caiaphas's house. See, if we reject his offer of salvation, by the way, it's the gift of God. It's free salvation. It's not free to Jesus, but it's free to us. You know what we're doing in a sense? We are spitting in his face. We are telling him if we reject his offer of salvation that we want no part in him. We don't want the gift that God has for us. If we reject his call To come to him, we're guilty of abusing the Lord. I mean, listen, we think about this morning, he loves us, he loved us enough to take this for us. The blow, I think, that hurt more than anything that evening as Jesus stood there before the Sanhedrin. And all this was happening to him. Certainly, it was a a hard thing for the, the members of the Sanhedrin to be doing to Jesus what they did. But I think the blow that really hurt the most was the one that came by one of his own. Look back in Matthew 26. I want you to see these verses, beginning in verse number 69. The Bible says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. When he was gone out into the porch, another, another maid said, uh, saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art also, thou art one of them. For thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. Folks, I see here that this was a hard thing because Peter denied even knowing the Lord. How pathetic it is for people to treat the one who came to give his life for them that they might be redeemed from their sins, that they might have a home in heaven. It was a pathetic scene, but notice it not only was pathetic, it was also prophetic. See, when all these events happened and they were were horrific things, can I tell you that all of them were a part of God's plan? See, nothing surprises God. God knew what was going to happen before it happened. That's how Isaiah was able to record what he recorded. And although it was pathetic, it was also prophetic. The prophets foretold of the sufferings of Jesus. Go back to Isaiah 50 in your notes. Isaiah writes, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that pluck off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. You know what happened when Jesus saw the cross? He kept walking. He set his face like a flint. Jesus never said, nope, not going there. What's plan B? No, he set his face like a flint. He says, if this is my Father's will, then it must be done. You see, this was prophetic. But notice, letter C, it was also productive. You say, productive, how do you get that? Well, the trial and the, the abuse, no doubt, was horrible. It was beyond description. But can I tell you that everything that Jesus went through, it just prepared the way for the cross to come to pass. It prepared that. For it was on the cross of Calvary that Jesus demonstrated the love of God for all of humanity, for your sins and mine. The Bible says, greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his what? Friends. That's what Jesus did. They didn't wrestle him to the cross. He laid his life down voluntarily, of his own volition. Thank God for the events that led to the cross, for it was there that our redemption price was paid. Peter writes, he says, for as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, Jesus suffered that night. There's no doubt about it. But he suffered for you and for me. He went through this so that we might be saved. He went through that so that we would not have to go to hell someday. songwriter wrote years ago, His heart was broken, mine was mended. He became sin, now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free. His scars of suffering brought me healing. He spilled his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. His life for mine. His life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die to save a wretch like me? What love divine, he gave his life for mine. What a wonderful Savior we have. We have a lot to be thankful for. He wasn't on trial for himself. He was on trial for us, for our lives. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed? I want to ask you this morning... Has there ever come a time in your life that you've put your faith in Christ? You've trusted Christ as your savior. The Bible word is born again. I wonder this morning, are you saved? Has there been a time in your life that you've trusted in salvation that comes from God? By an upraised hand this morning, Pastor, I've had a time in my life that I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. Would you slip your hand up this morning? If you're saved this morning, your hand should be up. Many hands across the auditorium, you can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, listen, I think you have a pretty good picture. I couldn't do justice to what Jesus went through. But what just kept speaking to me as I studied this this week is he did it because he loved us. We're sinners. I can't imagine somebody being here this morning that has heard this message and with your mind's eye and your heart to now understand all Jesus went through. And to get up and walk out of here not accepting Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you this morning, don't leave without Jesus in your heart. Would you stand to your feet this morning with our heads bowed?